We are in a series um, entitled Rise Up. And we started this series last week. We looked at three different examples of how Jesus was just real. And it's one of the basic foundational things that we can learn about who it is that we need to be and about how we can rise up uh, to be genuine, to be authentic. Um, Not to play church, not to put on a front, not to be hypocritical, but to be real. Not plastic, but real. And that's what Jesus did. That's who he was. That's how he lived his life. And it it attracted people, made them, made them want to know more, to ask questions, to wonder about who it is that he was. And, of course, it brought honor and glory to his heavenly Father's name. And today we're going to look at another um, foundational truth, something, again, really simple that we can rise up in. And it's about simply being respectful and kind. You know, that's an a issue in our nation today. We've seen it play out on a national landscape. People that don't have common respect, human decency for other people's property and their livelihood and, and for the sake of the name of something else have trashed um, stores, ruined their personal property. We've seen it play out on a national level, uh, at a national stage. We've seen our governmental leaders Treat each other with disrespect, name-calling, trashing, slamming, pointing fingers, being loud, aggressive, abrasive, a lack of human decency and respect one for another. We've seen it in the media, and we've seen it face-to-face. We've seen it play out on social media. People that that seemingly can't even treat each other with a basic level of respect and to be kind to one another. And I want to submit to you that as we think about rising up, this may seem like a really simple thing. But it's something that, that somehow is eroding in our nation and in our country and in our world. We could have a number of reasons for this, cite them. We live in an age of entitlement and a me culture that's created an attitude that basically says, um, I don't really care what you think and I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's risen and created this whole new level of poor behavior But it's also created a tremendous opportunity for those that follow Jesus Christ. And that is to rise up and to be. To not follow the stream. To not repay action for action. To give somebody what they deserve. But, to, but to in, a, in a fresh way and in a way that, that really will stun people and cause them to be curious. To rise up and to treat people with respect. And to be kind. And this morning I want to take you to two different places where that occurs. Jesus dealing with two different people, two different kinds of people, if you will, but communicating one profound truth. And that is regardless of who it is that we encounter, regardless of, of 
how that person has treated us in the past, we can be respectful and we can be kind. And the first place that I want to take you is on John 3. We're going to look at the story of of a conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. We'll look at various verses as we go through this passage. And in so doing, um, in looking at the example of Jesus, I think be challenged ourselves in terms of who it is that we are when we encounter a person like Nicodemus. So John 3, verses 1 to 21. And to be able to, to really grasp who it is that Jesus is being in this moment, I want you to look closely at the words of verse 1 because it says a lot about who Nicodemus is and then therefore how Jesus was respectful and kind. First sentence, verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Verse 2 says he came at Jesus at night. So he came to have a conversation with him. But did you catch who it is that Nicodemus was? And I want to unpack that and explain that for you just a minute to give you a, a sense of context. So many of you might be aware of and know of a group called the Pharisees. They were part of the religious ruling body of the day. And they had been given authority even under Roman rule to execute power and to have authority over people and to enforce laws up to the point of killing someone. That's why they had to seek um, Roman uh, authority to crucify Jesus. But anything below that, they could, they could do. And the Pharisees, along with a group called the Sadducees, maybe you've read about them as well as you read through the gospel accounts, both formed a body called the Sanhedrin. And I guess an example is, uh, think, Democrats, Republicans, House. And then, um, when you think about that, remember who the Pharisees were to Jesus, right? Were they kind and loving and respectful to him? No. And it just gets worse as you go along in the Gospels from this point on. They had already sought to discredit him. They had already sought um, to, to disprove anything is that he was teaching. They'd already um, mocked him, basically told him he didn't know anything. And that continues, and it goes on to the point, of course, of where they plot to kill him, and then indeed do. Pharisee. What did we read? Now, a man of the Pharisees. That's who Nicodemus was. Now, now Nicodemus was a decent person. And he kind of gives... Um, wait to that in verse 2. He, he says, we, we know that your teacher's done great things. He's not a real malicious adversarial guy, but he's a part of that group. Guilt by association. Not only was he a part of that group, did you also catch what was true there? He was a member of the ruling council. So he's a mucky muck, a top dog. He's one of the ones that sets the protocol, the rules. No, I want to I want to have you think about that. This is who Nicodemus is. This is who, who requests audience with Jesus, who Jesus agrees to meet at night nonetheless. 
And here's my question for you. Would you do that? Think about it for a minute and be honest with yourselves. I think that's a great question. I, I mean, would you be willing to have a conversation with someone that is a part of a group that trashes you every day? And that you know, and so I, and, and, and uh, the things that were said, et cetera, the things that were done to Jesus, you, maybe you're familiar with them. You can read about them again in the Gospels. And then knowing, of course, that they were going to be the ones that were responsible for your death, they were going to kill you. Would you be willing to meet with somebody and have a conversation with them? Or would maybe you do what's normal and just blow them off and say, are you kidding me? I'm not talking to you. I don't want to give you the time of day. Do you see who Jesus is being in the moment? And that he has respect for the person, treats him with kindness, even in agreeing to meet with him. And then he has a conversation. And Jesus, I love it. He's always laser sharp focused. I wish I could be this focused all the time. Just when I think I'm focused, I'm reminded of of moments like this. Verse 3, he he gets there. uh, Nicodemus says something. He gets right into it. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. He gets right into focus, and he's going to carry that through in the conversation. and, And Nicodemus doesn't get it. Verse 4, how, how can somebody be born again? Can they re-enter their mother's womb? Jesus explains it. He talks about the difference about being born again physically and be born again of the spirit of knowing God. Nicodemus still doesn't get it. He says, verse 9, how can this be? And then Jesus explains it in depth. And as you follow the conversation... Um, you understand that he's, he's being respectful and kind, and yet he's not compromising truth. He's still being firm. He's still communicating it. He says that right away in verse 10, you're Israel's teacher, and you don't get this? You, you, you're the one who, who is teaching people about God, and yet you don't understand what it means to know God and to be in God's spirit, and that's where they've gotten it all wrong. This whole thing about knowing God and, and, and having a relationship with God became all about rules and regulations, not about, about the heart. Not about a personal relationship with a God who loved them. But about doing what, quote-unquote, was necessary, and that was it. They had t- taken the Spirit out of everything. And, and so Jesus reminds them of that. But then he gets into truth and he explains it. And I want you to think about, if you can just picture Jesus having this conversation and you get into the words and you get into what he says he speaks about and the the words of John 3, 16 and and 17, most powerful words in all of Scripture, perhaps, a, a great passage. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And he said, this is what it means. 
I want to point you to grace. I want to point you to the love of God. He's respecting Nicodemus enough to have the conversation, and he's being kind enough to tell him the truth and get right to it. He's not blowing him off. It's a powerful, powerful example. And it presents a great challenge for you and me. So who are we? What do we do? We encounter someone who disagrees with us. Who are we? What do we do when somebody kind of like gets up in our face, in our grill? Who are we? What do we do when somebody's mean and nasty to us on Twitter or Facebook? I mean, it's really easy, right? You just, (laughs) I'm going to show, send. Could it be that maybe we can do something different and follow an example of Jesus Christ? be respectful, to be kind, to take the time, plant some seeds, point them towards the great Lord our God who loves us and who loves them. What a a great challenge that we find in this truth. And I would submit to you, as you walk out into the world, as you leave this place and you go throughout the week, you're going to have all kinds of opportunities. Because unfortunately, we know a lot of what the norm is. Yes, there are people who are still going to treat us with human decency and with respect and kindness, but there's a lot who won't. And those are the moments when you have to ask yourself, who am I going to be in this moment? And you can rise up. And it'll make a difference. You you, you do what Romans 12 calls heaping burning coals of kindness on a person's head. They don't get it and they kind of maybe, maybe even will be mad at you if you're nice to them. Go figure, huh? But what an opportunity. What a great challenge in terms of who it is that we can be. And this is a great example that Jesus gives because this is a person who who he had every right to not even have a conversation with. But he does. And then he explains some powerful truth and speaks about loving and kindness and that he's the one, he's the one that was sent by the Heavenly Father to save who? To save Nicodemus, he himself. What a profound example and there's another one that I would invite you to look at as well just one chapter over John 4 verses 1 to 42 um, Jesus' conversation with a woman at the well again about treating somebody with respect and with kindness Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. 
start out reading in the first few verses about where Jesus is at. He'd been down in Judea, which was to the south. He was going back to where he grew up, the land of Galilee. So he's heading north, and then able to get there, he had to go through a place called Samaria. And on the way, as he travels, they get tired, you know, they, 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 they walked, sometimes they rode. Jesus, they're always reading about him walking. He gets to a small village, smaller than McBain, maybe the size of Lucas thereabouts, 100 to 200 people, called Sychar, and he stops, and he stops at a well. Wells were always on the outside of the town, on the outskirts. So he stops at the town uh, well, and he's sitting there, and, and the disciples say, hey, um, we're going to go on in t- into town and, and get a bite to eat. We read of these ex- facts and stuff in verses 4 to 6, and it's, it's right about lunchtime, so it's about right, sixth hour. And he's sitting there, and then um, I, I just pictured Jesus sitting there on the outside looking towards the town, seeing some of the hustle and bustle, and then he sees somebody starting to make their way towards him, gets closer and closer, and sees this person maybe being a little bit nervous and kind of looking around a little bit, seeing if anybody else is going to follow or whatever. And then, and then maybe I just picture her walking, and then she just stops and she sees Jesus. It's kind of like, should I keep going or not? But she does, because she has a need. She's got to get water. So she goes on to the well, starts to draw her water, and then the unthinkable happens. Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Stunning, right? Y'all are taking that real serious. I'm glad because it was stunning. We think, what's the big deal, asking her for a drink of water? Come on, if I was thirsty, I'd have context. You know the parable of the Good Samaritan, perhaps. And Jesus uses Samaritan to be the one who's kind and who goes out of their way and, and does great things, the things that you would expect to gain human decency as opposed to a priest and a Levite, because Samaritans weren't, well, it it says it right there in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. This is not lost on the woman. She's stunned. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How is it that you're going to ask me for a drink? She gets it. And, and so the, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were the ones who were left behind in exile. They married people of the land. And because of that, Jews would have nothing to do with them. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't eat lunch with them. They wouldn't associate with them at all. Because if they did, they were unclean. That's the level it was. And so here's Jesus, a Jew. Here she is, a Samaritan. He's not even supposed to talk to her, and he asks her a question. And then you have the other unwritten rule there. He's a man, she's a woman. 
we still, that, that's an awkward thing still today, right? Uh, for men to talk to women unknown unless you're trying to get a date. But it was really heightened in that day. So you got those two things at work. Jesus crossing boundaries, breaking rules. And then there's this issue of the sixth hour. See, so, so just because she was a Samaritan, because she was a woman, G- Jesus already is supposed to, what was expected when she came up there was for her to get the water and leave him for Jesus to never even say a word or even look at her. But instead he, he asked her for a drink. But then there's the reason of being there at the sixth hour. So that was just based on what was known facts. But then what about who she was as a person? Who, who was she? Well, there's a reason she's at the well at high noon. And there's also another reason why nobody else is around. See, all the women of the village had already gotten their water early in the morning. They went there at time because it was early. They, they wanted water for the rest of the day to cook with, to drink, to do task with. But she's not there then. She's there at noon. Why is that? Well, we get the answer later on in the conversation. Verses 16 to 18. And it's really, if you look at verse 15, she, he, Jesus talks about purpose-driven again. Speaks about, um, if you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty again. If you drink the water that I would, or, or that, excuse me. The water that I would give to you, you'd never thirst again. And she says, well, then give me this water so I don't have to come to this stupid well again. He didn't say it quite that way. She started going to the well because there's where she had some bad encounters. And we find out why. Jesus says, go call your husband. Come on back. She says, I don't have one. He says, verse 17, you're right. You don't. Verse 18, in fact, you've had five, and the person you're with now is not your husband. So what you've said is quite true. That'd be a little stunning, wouldn't it? Have a complete stranger tell you some intimate and personal things about who you are. She, uh, she tries to change the subject. I see you're a prophet. Let's go on to another subject. I don't want to talk about my personal life and my past. But that's an important part of the conversation and what's happening. And it's not lost on her, by the way. So not only is Jesus a a Jew and a Samaritan, you've got all of that. Um, She's a woman who hasn't displayed the best behavior been a little loose, promiscuous. See, that's why she's there at noon. Maybe once or twice she tried to go in the morning, but all of the name calling, you can imagine what they would be calling her. The sneers, the looks, the whispers, the shouts, maybe even got pelted with a rock or two. She didn't want any part of that anymore, would you? 
So she went where nobody else was around. Because they knew her, and because they knew her, and they knew who she was, they treated her with no respect and with no kindness. That, my friends, was not Jesus. Jesus knows who she is. And he's respectful enough to have a conversation. And he's kind enough to carry that conversation through. To talk to her. Not to blow her off. Not to call her names. Not to sneer when he says the words. Again, speaking truth. But as he does, being kind and respectful even in the conversation. See, it's a lot about what we don't read. Who Jesus was being in the moment that makes a huge impact on her. The disciples come back. It's an awkward moment. They know the rules. She leaves quickly, maybe making it even a little bit more awkward. They don't question him on it. But do you think that it made an impact on her? When you look at the rest of the story, what does she do as soon as she leaves? Do you remember? Look, look at verses um, 28. Leaving her water jar, she left so abruptly, she left her water jar. You just don't leave your water jar. She went back to the town. She said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? made an impression she didn't say um come and see this man who ignored me come and see this man who because he was a jew didn't give me the time of day come and see this man who because i was worthless to him didn't speak to me come and see this man who knew who i was my background my history the shameful things that i've done and then called me a harlot. No, doesn't say any of that, does it? Come and see this man. You talked to me. You had a conversation. It impressed her. Made a difference. Connect the dots from truth to heart. What about you? Who are you when you see somebody that others wouldn't give the time of day to because they don't think they have any self-worth or because they've been somebody who's made a lot of mistakes in their life and maybe are still making them. Do you look at them with respect, human decency? Do you treat them that way? Are you kind enough to maybe ask for a drink of water? There's a big challenge here for us. There's a lot of things that Jesus communicates to her that are good and that are great simply because he's respectful of her and he's kind to her. And it creates a harvest. And sometimes I wonder if it's lost on us. You know, I I remembered... um, a time in, in past ministry, I was in the, um, so I've been doing this for a while, I was in the gathering area of our church, 
And I was just watching and, and waiting for an unfamiliar face. And um, I happened to have a, a guy who was an elder right next to me. And somebody walked in. And he said this to me. He said, ah, there's somebody we need to make a connection with. Well-dressed. Um, and I, I thought about that for a minute, though. It's kind of like, you know, we didn't make connection with that. It'd be great to, um, you know, the, the implication was to be a part of us. And I thought about it and I wondered, well, would you have said the same thing if somebody came in that you maybe thought wasn't somebody that it'd be great to make a connection with? Somebody that you deemed a little bit more unworthy in your eyes. I wondered about that. I never forgot it, obviously. See, we, we can make a lot of, of assumptions and judgments in our heads and in our hearts about people and the worth that they have and if we're going to treat them with respect and kindness. And the hope is, is that we always then accept the challenge to rise up and treat everybody with respect and with kindness. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, there's a tremendous challenge here and Jesus has to teach it to his disciples because they didn't get it. There's a profound truth there in verses 34 to 38. Because they ask him, you know, um, do you want something to eat? And he says, and I got to almost calm down. I was going to do that. He said, don't you get it? Didn't you see her? I'm paraphrasing. I ate my food already, the food that my father gave me, the harvest. She was right there, and you missed her completely because you saw her as somebody else. Open your eyes and look around because the fields are white with harvest. Fields are white with harvest. Profound truth. They're white with harvest where you work. They're white with harvest where you go to school. They're white with harvest in your circle of friends. They're white with harvest in your homes. It's a profound truth. This woman was impacted by Jesus' basic human decency and the way that he treated her, even after he said, I know who you are. She goes, she tells others, and it doesn't stop there. And the harvest continues. I love the end of the passage, verses 39 to 42. Samaritans from that town believed her because of that woman's testimony. So think about that. You know who she is. They know who she is. Small community, right? Everybody knows everybody. They believe her. Do you think that somehow how she spoke, the excitement level she had, the things that she said created an impression if they were willing to believe her at that point even? 
And, and then they say to her, after they go out and they talk to Jesus, he stayed a few more days. We no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. How did it start? These people coming to know Jesus Christ. The mission of the church, when people to Christ, equip them to serve. It started with a conversation. It started with Jesus expressing basic human decency, respect, and kindness. Profound, wonderful. And I am just looking forward to stories about how the church this church, other churches, people rise up in the midst of the world we're living, see people for who they are and treat them with respect and kindness just to be, just to be and what it will result in. We pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, your truth is clear. We make the easy hard. We see through different lens. We see people through the lens of culture. We see people through the lens of what we choose to believe other than what you share with us as truth. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see as you see, to be as you were and are. Lord, what you ask us to do is not difficult. You ask us, Lord, just to rise up, to follow your example, be salt, be light, by simply being respectful and being kind. Lord, help us to claim that truth. Help us to know that truth in the deepest part of our heart and help us to live that truth each and every day. To those that have trouble with us or that we have trouble with, to those, O oh Lord, that um, others see no value in. Might we rise up and be. In your name we pray it. And for your kingdom, Lord, we seek to follow and be it and live it.